Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Grumpy Collector Podcast. I'm your host, Troy McHenry, an incurable collector of all things. On this week's episode, I'm going to do something I've been meaning to do for a long time, which is finally record a talk track to a presentation I've done a couple of times for watch clubs, all around something near and dear to my heart, uh, which is JLC watches, and specifically uh, recent limited editions. Even better, if you have Spotify, you'll be able to see the slides as I'm also piloting their new video podcast format. If you don't listen to The Grump on Spotify, no worries. The presentation is available via PDF on thegrumpycollector.com on the show notes page. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show on your streaming platform of choice. And without further ado, yeah. Your life just got better. Okay, and as I said earlier, this week's episode of the Grumpy Collector podcast is really all about this presentation that I've been working on on and off for over a year now. Um, And I call it Hidden Gems Modern Day Limited Edition JLC Watches. You can see the picture on this uh, title slide was some of the books I used for research, uh, which was uh, JLC catalogs um, over the last uh, 20 or so years. From an agenda standpoint, what this presentation really covers is a timeline of the Maison. What does modern day mean with regard to, to JLC? What constitutes a limited edition series? And then let's review in detail all of the limited edition watches. Um, you know, when I originally first set out to do this, I thought, oh, I'll cover all the neo-vintage watches um, that, you know, JLC has done to the present. And honestly, it's just too many. Um, it would take up several hours. And uh, and frankly, I'm not done with my research either. So this is really from um, neo-vintage, which we'll get into what that timeline really means up through about um, 2005-ish. But first, I haven't been saying it by design, but how do you pronounce the watch brand JLC? And you can see a bunch of different phonetic spellings I put here. Um, I remember this really funny video on YouTube, and uh, the guy keeps calling it uh, the brand uh, JJ (laughs) LeCole. Or JJ Le Cuckoo. I've heard uh, Jage or Yage, JJ Le Coutre, Yeager Le Coutre, Jager, Jager Le Coutre, Jager Le Coutre. Well, you know, what's interesting when you think about uh, JLC is that, um, you know, the, the first name. Is you know looks like Jaeger, like Jaegermeister, right? That's a that's very much a German name, but in French it is pronounced Jager. Um, and then the the second part, and and again, uh, JLC being a Swiss company, they're more in the um, French side of Switzerland, so um, that's why you, you would probably um, most commonly hear it referred to as uh, Jager. And then the last part, you know, uh, if you talk to old le- collectors. They'll call it um, Le Coutre, uh, but really today most people 
pronounce it like the French word, which is le côte. So that last bullet really is the correct um, pronunciation from a French-speaking side. Jaja uh, le côte. Excuse me, Jaja le côte. Um, old collectors will say Jaja le côte. You know, honestly, anytime I've walked into a retailer that sells JLC or a boutique, they're not going to care how you pronounce it. Um, I think they're extremely gracious about that. And, and funny enough, I actually think this is something that's hurt the brand for a while because a lot of people maybe don't want to own a watch that then someone asks them, hey, what, what watch is that? That's awesome. You know, if it's a reverse over something, people could say, wow, that's really cool. And the person feels kind of self-conscious because they don't even know how to pronounce um, the watch brand. I think it's hurt them. You know, famously, when Hans Wilderf um, created Rolex, Rolex was just a name he picked out that, um, you know, because it could be pronounced easily by people all over the world, um, you know, no one mispronounces Rolex, right? Sometimes uh, people, you know, mispronounce, is it Paddock Philippe or, um, you know, instead of Paddock, is it, um, I can't even say the other one, Paddock or Patek um, Philippe. Uh, yeah, Patek or Patek, I don't know, Patek Philippe, Patek Philippe, anyways. So with JLC and with how you're hearing me say it throughout this presentation, it really is Jager LeCoult. A brief history, you can read this slide, I don't need to read it even for this presentation. The What I do want to call out there are their two taglines they've used in marketing over the last maybe... 20, 30 years. Um, some people refer to uh, JLC watches as the watchmaker's watchmaker or the watchmaker's ma uh, watch. And then they also had this slogan, which I really love, um, very kind of in your face and ballsy, but uh, they also have the slogan, have you ever worn a real watch? Which I just love because uh, I am a huge Jezreel uh, fanboy. Um, you know, interesting... You can see the timeline here. What's um, I think so interesting is, you know, and I think a lot of people forget is, and of course it's obviously two people's names kind of put together, the, the culture family, and then um, uh, another guy with Jaeger in his name, and they kind of joined forces. But, you know, in 1937, this uh, Paris-based uh, group is really where it kind of created the Jezre Le Cult, and it merged with Vacheron, Constantine, and back then it was just called Vashon and Constantine. Interesting that they kind of got rid of the and symbol um, after some time. And then uh, in 1969, um, the the Saphir group uh, sold to the Favre from you know um, what is it, Lob Favre, Favre Lob, you know the dive watches. Um, and so yeah, excuse me, the Favre Luba, excuse me. Uh, you know, this brought JLC together with that group. And then um, a portion of uh, JLC was sold off to Video Automotive, uh, which I always thought was pretty interesting. Um, and then, uh, you know, there was all this different confusion because, you know, if you look at vintage cars, you'll see Jaeger on some of the dash instruments. And it was kind of the same, kind of the not different company. Eventually, those all got put together in about 1981. And I think something that is forgotten is in 1986, Audemars Piguet purchased 
40% of this, um, this kind of Sapphire group, which was the watchmaking group from Video. Video reorganized their watch operations um, and kind of formed this group called LMH. And then uh, Video uh, was acquired by the um, Manisman group, um, which was a huge industrial company in Germany. Um, did a lot of, um, my understanding is they were a big manufacturer, almost like GE. They did a lot of things, but predominantly known for um, manufacturing pipe, I think, um, you know, maybe metal or lead pipe. Uh, and they were also the owner of the non-horological parts of Jaeger. So it was kind of nice that that all kind of got put together. And then um, Vodafone, of all things, you know, like what, what is that, a British phone company? But, um, you know, uh, acquires this Manisman group. And then immediately, because they, they wanted some technical IP that they had at the time, and of course, they did. You know, Vodafone did not want to be in the watch business, so they immediately put up Video for sale, and uh, Richmond agrees to purchase forty um, percent of JLC because that that piece. Remember that Audemars Piguet bought in nineteen eighty six. Well, in nineteen ninety nine, Richmond buys it from Audemars Piguet for two hundred eighty million dollars. There's a couple of things that's important to note here is. You know, when Vodafone put up video for sale, it really was, there was a lot of interest from a lot of different people. And Richmond was smart enough to see, okay, well, who owned all the different parts? And they saw that Adamar Piguet still owned 40%. So they kind of went around and bought the 40% of, of video, which really was JLC, right? Um, bought it from Adamar Piguet, and that immediately put them in the driver's seat for negotiations to buy the rest of the company. Um, it was a really good um, tactical move, if, if you ask me, very, and, and frankly, very strategic too, because it probably helped save uh, some money for them. And then they um, acquired LMH for 2.8 billion Swiss francs from, from Vodafone. And that really brought a lot of brands, not just JLC, under the Richmond umbrella, and this was uh, in, in 2000. Just brief history. There's a, a lot more, obviously, especially if you go way back into the 1800s, because the company does have a long history, especially with um, micro machining and and making um, small machines for things like the watch industry. But for today's talk too, it's important to think about what does a modern day mean with regard to Jaja Lecoultre uh, watches and limited editions. And, you know, for me, I, I was really trying to think about where's the perfect kind of first bookend to start this talk with. Um, by 1990, the resurgence and in interest in, uh, you know, mechanical watches was starting to come back slowly. You know, think post-Quartz crisis, or if you're in Japan, it was maybe a Quartz revolution, right? Kind of depends on which side of history you're on. Um, you know, the other thing I'll say is, while JLC was obviously around making watches in the 70s and 80s, et cetera, you know, some of the earlier watches they were doing, though, during this time, and some of their quartz watches were really um, fairly forgettable. Um, so, you know, in my mind, um, you know, early 90s is really where this kind of starts. And that's really 
where I think a lot of people also feel with other watch brands where this term of Neo Vintage comes into place. Um, you know, you think of vintage watches. I've talked about this some uh, in other talks I've done. You know, what's the difference between vintage and antique and retro? But, you know, for most people, you know, vintage watches may be those really earlier watches from 1920s, 1930s, 40s, maybe even 50s, right? We can consider all those, maybe even 60s. Those are kind of vintage watches. So I like to think of neo-vintage as watches kind of starting in the early 1990s and then um, going to maybe just around, you know, early 2000s, maybe 2005, 2006, 2008. And I think kind of at that point, you're just kind of in the neo, right? You're just kind of in the current. So um, interestingly, the the picture that I posted here of this um, JLC Momovox, uh, this actually was a, a limited edition, but again, it's not, um, this is an earlier one, uh, and I don't want to say it's forgettable, but it's nothing really special. It looks uh, very, you know, it looks identical to a Memovox they would have made in the 1960s, so it's not, um, doesn't bear to, to talk a whole lot about some of their earlier watches, because, and you'll notice too, and think about like ownership-wise and stuff, 1990, there was a, some different infusions of cash. Ownership's moving around a little bit with the, you know, with the parent uh, that's owning JLC, and I think that really helped, um, you know, usher in some of this. The other thing worth noting is, what do we even mean when we say limited series or limited edition? Um, you know, I like to think what a limited edition is. You know, the watch was released, you know, to the public, typically with a stated limit of production pieces made. Um, I'm not including one of one because, you know, you have things like only watch. Um, I don't think that's, that's super relevant here. And then I'm not including what I'd call trivial releases where the only difference is maybe a, an engraving on the case back. I will say if you, you noticed earlier, it was not a Neo Vintage, but I just think it's so cool. Uh, the, the Don Draper, um, you know, Mad Men, uh, limited edition Reverso. Um, that's a cool watch. And I think it's what a great watch to kind of talk about that helps ease us into this period is the Master Grand, you know, Reveal. If you look at this watch, you see all these weird appendages on the case. Um, I love that it has three crowns. I mean, look, it has four hands coming out of the center stack. It has another four hands in four different subdials. It has a moon phase. This is really a tour de force, but, and look at the years when this was made, 89 to 95, you know, and they made 250 in platinum, 250 in pink gold. But the, when you look at this, to me, this is still very much old school, and don't get me wrong. This is still a fantastic watch, perpetual calendar, chiming alarm, you know, moon phase, 24 hour dial. Automatic winding, this is a very thick watch. Um, and that's why you're seeing uh, all these crowns is, you know, this is really like a perpetual calendar that then they bolted on a Mimivox mechanical alarm to. And so you have one crown just for, you know, winding the, that mechanical alarm, which is 
um, then you know set with the crown and that's what that big red arrow hand is that's for the for the alarm function and don't forget in the top right right around one o'clock you'll see there's even a two digit uh, for for the year uh, has a, a, a bronze alloy for the gong that makes a really nice sound 41 millimeters again pretty compact from a width standpoint but it is thick and um, you know this caliber 350 parts and you can see the prices here you know initially 30,500 in platinum almost 23,000 in pink gold and think about you know and that is back in 1989 1995 to put that in today's money you'd almost have to double that but what's interesting is you can find this watch um, for you know the same or less than what it originally uh, sold for, which really means it, it really is quite a bargain. But again, this still has a lot of the older JLC DNA, especially when you look at the indices and kind of that stepped case. It's, it's still a, a gorgeous watch, but, um, you know, there's, there's just a lot going on. To me where really things get interesting. And I think it's still one of the most beautiful watches uh, that Georges Lecourt has done, is in 1991, they brought out the 60th anniversary of Reverso. Limited edition of 500. And just look at the dial on this. Look at the guilloché work. And, you know, there's a lot of things here. This was the first Reverso with a complication other than date. You know, there's that power reserve up there in the top left. So cool. Kind of partially covers up the 10 and the 11. I, I just love that. Has a pointer date instead of a date window, which I think is really cool. What's really neat about how they did the pointer date is that little uh, gold hand coming out of the, the center uh, stalk. But as you follow the number down, look, it goes, you know, 12, 13. And then notice 13 is repeated again above the sub-seconds, and then you have 15, 17, right, because it's doing odd numbers, and it jumps back down to 18, 19, and then it skips again, and then it kind of gets skewed up. See how it goes from 29 to 31, and then one shoots back up at the top? I, I don't know. I just think it's precious. Um, really, um, really pretty movement in this that you can see uh, there in the, in the bottom. Again, this was limited edition. This was the kind of the first time them using uh, that new Grand Tail case. So the dimensions are 42 millimeters uh, tall, 26 um, millimeters wide, caliber 824, 193 parts. Um, I think this watch is just beautiful. And what's even more amazing, and again, this is also, it's probably worth pointing out, you know, this is in a really pretty um, pink gold case. But this was the first of a six-watch series that JLC did to kind of, I don't want to say, you know, 60th anniversary because that's what this watch is for. But it was really a start of a multi-year effort to really rejuvenate the Reverso and rejuvenate Jojo uh, Court in the process. And I think these have been lost a little bit to history, but I think they absolutely did that. And today, I think for the money, these are just some of the best watches you can buy. And that's, to me, why this whole theme 
this presentation is around hidden gems because I think a lot of people in the, the watch world always are kind of looking at the, the next novelty, the next product offering, and they kind of lose sight of um, you know what's been done in the past and maybe trying to f hunt those down. Um, I think this is just a, a gorgeous watch and a great example of that. Well, how did they follow this up? Well, in 1993, they brought out uh, the second in this series, and this time it's the first Reverso with a tourbillon. And look at the display back on this. You see the time. It has the sub-seconds on the, on the main uh, dial. Beautiful guilloche work. I love that it just says tourbillon, but there's no cutout in the dial to show you that. Kind of reminds me of the older uh, Patek Philippe's that were similar. But then you flip it over, and you have this great, nice display back where you can see that big tourbillon. There's also a power reserve, uh, which I love. And then what I think is so endearing is the cutout on the bottom of the case so you can see all of that tourbillon that you're paying for. Um, again, limited series of 500, 1993. And the original price on this was $40,000. And again, you can find this watch today um, for, for far less than that, uh, than that original issue price. In 1994, they came out with, you know, these are all first. Now you have the first Reverso with a minute repeater. And look at the slide, how they did that. So it's not sticking out like some flange like you see on a lot of minute repeaters. Here it has these nice scallop ridges, but it doesn't really jet out from the case, but you can see how you would slide it down to, um, to initiate it. It's a two gong mechanism. And then in, um, the bottom right of the dial, you know, right around five o'clock, that's where you can see the spinning governor, uh, cut out on the dial. And again, these are all 18 karat pink gold. This one, um, the, uh, minute repeater had a solid case back to help with the sound. Um, and you know, again, the, these are all being done in that, Grand Tal uh, case size, you know, that 26 millimeters wide, 42 millimeters tall, and this one's only 9.8 millimeters thick. Um, just amazing. And then there's a, a great video here um, from a watch box with showing this in action. Check, check this out. Let's see if we can get this to work. Yeah. Look at that governor spinning there. And how great does that sound? I love that. So cool. And again, that governor is just to kind of help um, slow down the, the, the mechanism a bit. So, you know, you had that beautiful 60th anniversary with the, the large power reserve indicator then you followed up with a tourbillon and then a minute repeater. It's kind of like, where do you go from here? Um, next, in 1996, they came out with um, first Reverso with a chronograph. Uh, again, series of 500. Um, and you can see the buttons there for <laughs> the chronograph. But what's great is, you know, the front, check it out. It's just hours, minutes, and date. And then you flip it over to the back, and that's where the chronograph is. Um, 
which I just think is so beautiful. And that big dial is the 60 seconds, and then the bottom is retrograde 30-minute counter. Now, feel free to debate me on the usefulness of a chronograph that can only count up to 30 minutes. I'm not saying you're wrong if you feel that way, but I still think this is a beautiful way to do it. And they skeletonize the, you know, the dial on the back so you can see some of the movement as you articulate the push, uh, pushers. <laughs> but then, you know, you don't have this with other watches, but because this is a reverso, you could start the chronograph, but then flip it back over, and maybe the the owner, the wearer, doesn't know if the chronograph is running or not. And so they put an indicator on the bottom right, and that's what that little paddle flips from. So when it's running, it shows it's running, and then if it's stopped, it'll show it stopped there. Of course, it's in French. Um, I think that is so cool because that way I could flip it back over and I still know if my chronograph is running or not. Um, just things you don't necessarily think about with normal watches. Again, um, uh, this was 29000 on strap. I think it's interesting to see that it's a $10,000 premium for the pink gold um, bracelet for this watch. You know, it's like a third more uh, just for the bracelet. Um, I think this is a gorgeous watch. Again, you can get this for far less today. A real bargain. After the chronograph from 96, in 1998, you have this where you have the, the very traditional front side where you have your hours, minutes. There's a beautiful um, day-night indicator. And you have seconds, sub-seconds at 6 o'clock. And then you flip it over and you have these beautiful Art Nouveau or, or you know, uh, Bell Epic um, numerals. I just love how they're written here. And this is showing you, um, you know, a GM plus minus, you know, how many hours of GMT display, which is super cool. Another day-night indicator and a 24-hour city display for this second time zone that's on the back. Um, and then it's actuated with the, um, the, the pusher there. Um, to, to advance, um, just really cool. And, you know, as you advance one, like the other kind of spins the other way with the, the GMT plus minus. Um, so this Reverso Geographique from 1998, that, that's exactly how that worked. And this, this is really, to me, I think also the first time you're seeing Reverso with that kind of white and black dial. And then how do you, can you top this when you think about this initial limited edition um, that was going to be a six watch set um, and they wrapped it up with a perpetual calendar um, and you can see here beautifully executed 276 parts again this is only 10 millimeters thick um, a lot different than that first perpetual calendar we saw uh, the grand reveal here hours minutes you have that day-night indicator in the top right. In the bottom, you can see the leap year indicator and the sub-seconds, both at 6 o'clock, but super clean. And then if you flip it back, that's where you see the retrograde uh, date. That's where you see the moon phase, and that's where you see day of the week and month. So um, clean, in my opinion. 
just really love how this is executed. And you still have this beautiful um, guilloché work on, on both dials. Uh, just stunning. Um, and as I like to joke with these six watches, and I think it's important to note too, and I think this is why it's so important to have reference materials when you can, because when you look at the Jaja Lecoultre catalogs from 19, you know, 91 to 2000, this is a nine year span. Several of these limited edition watches, because remember, these are limited editions of 500. They show up for five or more years in the catalogs. It's not like today in the watch world where you do a limited edition series and it sells out in a month. It took JLC years to sell these limited um, series or edition of watches. You know, this perpetual calendar, the chronograph, uh, the, the geophysique, these were, uh, geographic, excuse me, these were around for years. It took them a long time to sell some of these. Also, which I think is um, really great, they, and you can see on the bottom left, I wanted to show you what did the box look like that these came in. Beautiful uh, burl wood box. But then if someone had been buying these uh, throughout the time, they even created this um, set where you could store all six and it came with a magnifying glass. I'm really wondering too, like at the end, did they still have some from the very beginning? And did they sell these with all six in it? Or was this just a box you could get after the fact for collectors who'd been kind of buying and shopping all along? Um, that's a mystery for me, but super uh, interesting to think about maybe how uh, these complete sets kind of navigated around. So this was a huge part of what JLC was doing, um, again, for, for about nine years. But during that time, there was some other limited editions that were going on, which I think is um, interesting. This first one is kind of what I call maybe one of the original Art Deco watches. This is a limited series of 120, 1992. I believe this was a JDM, J Japanese domestic market release. I love how when you look at reversos today, especially let's say if you look at like a, a duo, on one side you'll have the numbers kind of in the box and the subseconds will be a box. And if you flip it over to the other side for the other time zone, it's round with the numbers and then the subseconds is round because it's keeping it in sync, squares and, and circles. I think this is so interesting that it mixes that up and you have the, the circle the hands are going to spin around and you have kind of the numbers, not quite in a square, but not quite in a circle either. Uh, so you have a little bit of negative space, right? I mean, look at the, the space to the, the right of the five or the left of the seven or the right of the one. Um, it just very interesting. And then you have the seconds though in that um, square, just a fun uh, play on shapes. Uh, you know, obviously no loom or, or anything like this. Um, and it's the caliber 822, a pretty uh, standard movement. And then from 1992 all the way to 2001, so this is a long time. Um, you know, I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to include these or not, but I, I figured it, it might be, um, I might as well, which is um, another kind of Art Deco. And the Art Deco really comes to the dials 
where the, you see this beautiful guilloche again see that kind of circle and rectangular motif uh, but these all had skeletonized um, movements what i think is really interesting that's worth call you know calling out to is a normal reversal like that previous one and and others where they have just you know uh, time and subseconds they have 116 parts these skeletonized um, movements in the back with that display back have 134 parts because of the skeletonization the skeletonization adds to the part count You're, you know it's another 18 parts um, that that kind of come out of it because they're kind of chopping up all the, um, the the bridges and and the body of, of the movement um, and I'm showing here for you what it looked like in white gold with this really pretty salmon dial. And then there was pink gold with kind of a, a white frosted dial. Um, these are pretty thin, uh, really pretty. And here's just um, a close-up. I, I just think, uh, and they've done a couple different versions. So I'm also showing kind of a more modern one that they still kind of consider the Art Deco. It has some of that skeletonization. Um, you can see the original one on the on the left with the subseconds. And then in 1995, this is kind of the first time you'll see um, a limited edition where they're really um, starting to go into, um, you know, doing the miniature painting. They've, they've always done this with as one-offs or, you know, you can get your initials done uh, on a case back. Um, but I thought this was really cool that um they did a, a four watch set of the four seasons very limited this is 25 right and you know the the paintings on the the case back are by um you know alphonse uh, muha uh very famous czech um you know art nouveau uh, painter and interesting the enamel artwork was actually done by uh, miklos um Marcel, great Hungarian name, um, who worked at JLC and was really known for his artistry. And so, um, you know, it's interesting to see the, the stuff that he did because um, really it's one great craftsperson and artist having to, you know, interpret another artist and knowing the materials and how do you take a large work and shrink it down but still keep all of that in there. Um, and this makes all the sense in the world that it comes with a magnifying glass. You can really appreciate the, the detail that's, that's in these. I don't know if these were ever sold individually. I, th I would think so. I don't think you had to buy them all as a complete set here. Um, but if you did, again, got a free wood box. And then in 1999, another um, Muha paintings. Um, these, the original paintings were done in 1899. Here's 1999. So I think that's pretty neat. You know, 100 years into the future. Again, this was a limited series of 25. I, again, I love the Art Nouveau numbers on the dot on the front of the dial, and then the the minute track. That's the square, and then the subsecond track, the round. That's in blue. I just think that stands so great with that really pretty um, enam white enamel dial, and then of course you have the enamel work on the back. And um, you know, these this was two different watches. And you had one for dawn kind of waking up, and then you have dusk of you know the sun setting and, and, and going to sleep. And you can see here, um, and these are Muha's words, you know, dusk 
shivering woman covering herself at the close of the day illustrates mankind's fears and hesitations in the face of an unknown future. Um, pretty deep to have on the back of a reverso. And the artistry is just um, really second, second to none with these. Um, and I know this talk is just about neo-vintage, but I had to put a slide in here to just talk about um, the update in 2018 where JLC reinterpreted again um, uh, you know, Alphonse Muha's uh, work. Um, and what's interesting is this was kind of a three-watch set, and they did summer, spring, and autumn, but not winter. I don't know why. Um, my understanding is it was just these, these three watches. I hope I'm wrong because that just seems so crazy to me. But what I think is really, really interesting with this is you have the guilloche work on the front of the dials, and then they're covered and doing enamel. So this is kind of the, um, one of the few times you're seeing enamel work on top of guilloche for the dials. And then on the back, see how you can see the progression of JLC, where before you were, they were just doing kind of that st the standard box, you know, cutting out and then doing the enamel, um, you know, depiction or painting there. And here now you have all of this really pretty hand engraving, and then they're doing the enamel work um, on top of it and, and firing it. And my understanding was, you know, if they messed up the painting, it, this engraving work was already done, and you just kind of had to pitch it and redo it. So you feel bad for the engravers, but you probably even feel worse for um, the people having to do the enamel work and making sure that they get, you know, got done right the first time. Or otherwise, they were creating more work for their for their friends. In keeping with this series, um, and this is the only one where I'm jumping to the future. I just wanted to kind of close the book on the on the four season stuff that JLC's recently done. Um, but, you know, that's with watches. I think it's worth calling out just a few of the Atmos clocks that were being done around this time. So in 1999, they did a beautiful series of 25 of these, um, you know, again, celebrating the four seasons. And the marquetry on this is just out of this world. I mean, look at the, the panels that you open up on the left and right of this clock. Um, just gorgeous. You can see in the notes here. You know, the marquetry has 2,000 parts, 100 different species of wood used. Um, you know, these were not exp um, inexpensive at all. You know, $57,000 in 1999. Um, just think about that. For that same price, you could have bought, you know, any, you know, the uh, minute repeater reverso, right? Uh, and the craftsman who was doing this, a French craftsman, um, you know, spent two years to do the work work for the 25 clocks, so really um, something else. Related to that, also in 1999, another limited edition of uh, 25 is an another Atmos clock, but here, look at the dial, so much more complicated, because in this case, you're seeing where it's the year indicator, but it's um, for a thousand years, which is um, pretty hard to kind of wrap your, your head around, if you ask me. And you can see what I, I wrote here, you know, as a significant record in the Atmos history, Joshua Kult recorded all the names of the owners of these clocks written down on parchment. These names are stored in a sealed spherical glass container um, at JLC HQ somewhere. Maybe it's in their museum. 
this container, oh, excuse me, is now in the private collection. Yeah, it's like, cool, it makes sense, right? In Switzerland, um, again, not a cheap clock. Um, again, really pretty marquetry, uh, wood marquetry, really showing the different, um, you know, um, I love the idea of having different craftspeople and different crafts, you know, like riffing on each other and, um, you know, just piling up, right? Because you have the art of watchmaking, you have the, the cabinetry, the marquetry, the idea of art that's being reinterpreted here too. Um, just so cool. And with this case too, it's worth noting on the top, I mean, check out that beveled glass as well. So I think it's great. It lets light kind of come in to the, um, the clock from the front and the, and the top. And here's a, a zoomed in uh, picture of this clock. So you can see the, uh, the years, that track, and it kind of spirals several times around, almost like a, a snail shell. And it starts uh, at 2,000 and ends at uh, 3,000. So really, it can track 1,000 years. And, you know, that just helps you think long term, right? To think about any of us, maybe, if we're lucky, gets to span 100 years on this clock. And that's not all that far. That's just one quarter of one rotation for that, that hand. Maybe it's a, a, just a, a good reminder of how maybe fleeting life can be. And then you can see the cutout again for the, um, for the months there. And then there is a, a moon phase at, at six o'clock. Really neat to see complications with Atmos. You don't typically see that a whole lot. And then you can see when you open up the drawer, you can see those, um, cylinders and at first you may think oh is this like a humidor like what is this it's like no this is uh, those are tubes uh for parchment where you could write down um you know important things happening there's a little quill pen and uh, ink and uh, you know the, the whole nine yards i really do think and you can see it's a little bit asian inspired with the idea of writing on parchment and writing with special ink um, that I really do think this was these clocks, these twenty-five clocks were really geared towards um, the Asian market. And what I'm not showing as well, uh, which is pretty cool, is um, these clocks um, came in a really. I'm all about boxes, apparently. Came in a really exceptional box. Look at the box that this came in. I mean, this is something else. Um, and again, at the bottom of the of the, the clock itself, you have that drawer with those ten lacquered engraved tubes, each containing parchment. And the idea, again, thinking long term, right, was you know write down the significant family events, and you have one tube for every hundred years, one tube to write down what happened this century. Think about doing that in your parchment for your one tube and knowing there's nine more tubes, you know, and nine more parchment for the next 900 years for your family. What a way to think about time. So, so cool. Um, you don't traditionally see these come up for auction a whole lot either, um, especially together with, with the original box. But I, I think these are um, really, really cool. And then in 2002, um, 
maybe finishing up a little bit of the enamel stuff. You can see again, great, like Art Nouveau um, numbers here. Uh, this was again, a limited set of 25. And again, this is something where I think it's so interesting that um, I have not been able to find a single auction record for either of these two watches um, come up. And so the pictures you're seeing here are actually scans I had to take from an old um, JLC catalog from 2002. So I don't know if they actually ever made these. Did they actually make all 25 sets? Because they were sold only as a set. Um, I don't know. But um, really, really pretty. Um, I love the design. I love the blue. Um, yeah, gorgeous uh, JLCs. And, and definitely a, a rare one. Okay. Now, going back to the 90s for a little bit, we've talked a lot about Reverso, but now it's also important to talk a little bit about what else was going on with JLC and their limited editions. And something they did, which I think makes a lot of sense, and you still see this today with JLC, is that they will do certain dial colors with certain case metals. And that way, there's no question when you're looking at a watch huh, is that steel or is that white gold or is that platinum? You can just tell immediately by the dial. And in this case, um, what you're seeing here is um, a wonderful perpetual calendar, limited edition of 250. You'll notice um, it had a, a case back but, but hinged open. You know, some people call this a hunter case. Um, or maybe an observatory or, you know, case back uh, with, you know, some, some writing on it, but you could hinge that open and then don't worry. You don't have to worry about messing with the movement because there's still a sapphire crystal there, automatic winding. You know, this is pretty small, 37 millimeters. <laughs> and what I love about this, I love perpetual calendars and I love the different ways that manufacturers try to show everything, how do they resolve things. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of, I don't want to say problems with earlier perpetual calendars. However, as an owner, and actually, I, I think, again, this is great, that it requires some intelligence to know when you should be messing around with your perpetual calendar and maybe when you shouldn't be. And JLC decided to help owners with this. And so look at that little arch cut out right above the handset and right now it just shows as white but it would turn red you know to tell you don't mess with your perpetual calendar now's not the time right maybe you shouldn't be moving the time forwards or backwards or advancing things because maybe a lot of things are about to switch over maybe it's at the end of the month or at the end of the, the day whatever right um, just like with any watch if you're messing with the date you probably should do it at you know, um, 6 a.m. or 6 p.m., not at midnight or not at noon, because you don't really know sometimes which it is. Um, so I love that they did this cutout. And what I love even more, if the cutout's not enough, check out the hour and minute hands. And what do you notice there? They did cutouts on the hands. So even if they're both pointing up at noon or midnight, You'll still be able to see that indicator because at that point, obviously, it'd be showing red because it's saying, don't mess with your watch then. I love that. Um, and then, of course, you know, you'll see all these really pretty 
arrow indices except for at six o'clock where there is the number six. Nowhere else do you have a, a new, you know, an Arabic uh, numeral. Um, really, really love this watch. Um, and again, uh, you know, these limited editions that you're going to be seeing, most of these uh, are platinum. And again, because of that, they had this special um, dial uh, as well. 1997. Here's, again, limited edition 250. But here's the Master Geographique. Again, you have that same hinged uh, case back. Super cool. Platinum. Um, you know, power reserve, that big reserve de marche, marche at the you know left. Uh, you have the city crown at 10 o'clock, the adjusted cities down, down below. Um, and you also have that little round circle at 9 o'clock on the kind of sub-dial for a day-night uh, indicator. Really pretty. I really like um, the flatness of the bezel with this and um, how those kind of arrow indices are and then just the cutout for the, the cities. I think this is a really um, neat way to do a world timer. 1999, here's the, the master moon. Um, you can see, uh, again, this is an annual calendar with a pointer date, moon phase, so it's not a perpetual calendar. Um, still 37 millimeters, 36 joules. And you'll notice with uh, this one, again, you have that hinge case back, uh, automatic winding, as most of these are. Um, just uh, really sharp, and you can see how um, the one is at 12, but 31 is just a little bit to the left of that. Some watches you'll see where the one's a little bit off to the right. I always just think that's interesting to, to see how that's um, executed. Uh, really, really clean watch. Also at this time, then you have the Master Reserve uh, de March or de Marche. Again, big power reserve, you know, right there between uh, 10 and 11 uh, o'clock. Yeah. Uh, Sub-seconds, just um, re really pretty. And then you have the date uh, on, the, on the right, sub-down, again, hinge case back. 2001, they brought out the ultra-thin in platinum. Again, limited edition of 250. This is a small watch, though. 34 millimeters wide. You won't catch me wearing one of these. Uh, way too small for my wrist. But, you know, it is amazing that it's a 5.8 millimeter thick. Um, you know, because there isn't a seconds hand or a sub-seconds dial, they could really keep things um, super, super um, thin with, with this. Um, this caliber 849, this is a, a wonderful movement, 19 joule. Again, it's just, uh, you know, uh, you know, time only. Also in 2001, now you have the Master Grand Memovox. And think about this. Does this look familiar? Think about the very first watch we covered, that grand reveal. This is the, you know, the child of that. This is the this showing what has, you know, JLC done in, in over a decade. And look how they've modernized it. You don't have three big crowns, um, you know, appendages sticking out of the case, right? It's It's so much more cleaned up. Again, you still have the red um, arrow. Right now, it's pointing at 9 o'clock. That's for the alarm function. You're still winding it um, with that crown at 2 o'clock. Um, but it's just much cleaner. I think we can all agree. And it's been 
sized up a bit. Now it's 41.5 millimeters, 15 and a half millimeters thick. Um, yeah, great evolution. Uh, it'd be fun to see these two watches kind of side by side. Um, cause, and this is using the caliber 909. It's not that the movements are probably all that different fundamentally. You're still pretty much taking a perpetual calendar and having to stick on it that mechanical Mimovox alarm function. But um, it's great to see how they were able to do this. I believe um, one of the ways they're doing this too is with, um, uh, you know, um, there's probably a, a couple holes for, for pushers on this case. Well, now, remember we started with that 60th anniversary pink gold Reversa. What a gorgeous watch. And again, that was in um, 1991. Well, 10 years later, in 2001, it's already time to do the 70th anniversary of the Reverso. And look what JLC did this time. Again, man, they're, they're just knocking it out of the park. Love this watch. This is the first time using the the extra grand, you know, tal case. So it's a bit bigger, 12 millimeters thick, 46 millimeters tall, 29 millimeters wide. This is a caliber 879. What's great about this caliber is, again, you have power reserve in the top left, day-night indicator in the top right. Um, now you have a big date function, though, right at the, at the bottom left, right around um, uh, 7 p.m., sub-seconds on the right, and then you flip it over, and you get to see it's just a display back, and you just can really appreciate the manual wound double-barrel movement. Um, and, you know, what's interesting about this, too, is, um, you know, look at that scale. This movement is a 10-day movement, and, uh, excuse me, this is eight days here in my notes. Maybe it is eight days. I think... Um, Yes, it is eight day. I'll tell you though, um, I've heard people say with this particular movement that they've been able to get a lot more time out of it than just eight days too. Like GLC was conservative with this, um, which I think is pretty cool. And you know, what's great is they took this exact movement and put it in a regular um, reverso. So you can just get, it's called the Grand Date Reverso. They made it for years, and uh, you know if you want a more accessible version in stainless steel, um, you absolutely can. It you know what's interesting is it kind of is a combination of these two. Obviously, what you're seeing here on the on the right is a platinum case, um, but then it has that really pretty dark gray dial. And on the um, other one, which is um, you know um, uh, gold, that one has that nice kind of white frosted dial. Where if you get the stainless steel one, it's kind of like you're combining those. It looks like the platinum case, but it's stainless steel, but it has that white dial. Um, in my book, though, the... Um, oh, excuse me, it's not platinum, it's white gold. In my book, the white gold one's where it's at, though. Look, Just look at it, uh, zoomed in here for a moment, and just appreciate it. I love the flat gray. I like the guilloche. In the middle of the dial, I love the Art uh, Nouveau numerals. You have the applied JLC logo at the top at 12. 
Maybe it's a little heavy-handed that then they're also spelling out Jeje Le Coult in the, you know, sub-dial for seconds. I don't care. And also that it says Reverso. Still don't care. Um, and this really is a fantastic movement. Uh, maybe the last aside I'll do with this one is, and I wonder if anyone else remembers this. If you've been in watches for a long time, you might. But uh, Jeje Le Coult, ha, ha, you know, has always had a website presence. And they had the funnest game where you could put together this exact movement. And it was actually a tough game. Like you had to put the pieces in order. And I don't think you were putting all 200 pieces together. You were probably putting together 20 or 30 or 40 pieces. I can't remember. And it would kind of time you. And oh, I loved playing it. It was only, maybe it was only available to people in their owner's club. I can't remember. But um, but I used to play it all the time. And I just really uh, enjoyed it. And it was hard. I really wish watch brands would do more things like that. Because it was like engaging you also learn a little bit about watchmaking. And even if you didn't learn about watchmaking, you still get appreciation because you're like, wow, there's a lot of parts <laughs> in these. Uh, and again, I just, uh, yeah, this um, this is just so pretty. I love that gray dial. Now let's talk about a few other things kind of going on at this time. Check out these four watches. I think, again, at this time, watch brands were, and maybe probably not all watch brands. This is Rolex is not doing this, but the importer for JLC watches in Portugal wanted to do something special to maybe highlight and help promote some local um, Portuguese artists, and so they came up with the idea of doing an art watch each year for four years. And I know I use the word enduring a lot, um, but that's exactly what these are. And all of them have different themes around time. And so you look at the top left, and that's kind of the standard JLC with the pointer date. Um, and I think it has a month window. I've always liked that movement. And it has the tortoise and the hare on the back. Great kind of uh, proverb story that came out in 2000. In 2001, you can see this one where it's a black dial, has the artist's signature in red. Uh, just below Jaja Le Coult. And then in the, you flip it over and you see this beautiful uh, enameled work or lacquer work. And then, you know, the spiral thinking about time, right? And, and the circular nature of time. And then uh, in uh, 2002, here you have um, Paulo Rego. This was an LE of 40 pieces. And apparently there's a story about this woman in a pelican. Um, there's a time element to that as well. Um, really pretty. And then um, 2004, uh, this one with uh, the snake on the back. And I was always thought this case was so interesting because this was the sport case, for those who remember these. And traditionally, you always saw these with bracelets, and it's so interesting to see it with a leather strap. I mean, it definitely gives off a strong swatch vibe. Um, to me, but I think uh, these are a lot of fun. These are super hard to find, um, but uh, I just thought it was worth uh, sharing these. And apparently, there was quite a few people who got into these, you know, because these are all four of these names are not household names, at least for me as a Westerner in the United States. But um, I think uh, what is interesting is that, you know, for local. Uh, people involved in the arts or collectors in Portugal, these really resonated. And so they also 
made a, a you know a fitted box because I, apparently a lot of people bought all four. And so, yeah, you bought all four, you probably got a free wooden box. Can't beat that. The last maybe series we can talk about that was also going on this time, especially later in the 2000s, you know, ushering in the new um, millennia, you know, we just, this is on the heels of that wonderful 70th anniversary reverso, um, is you're really going to now start to see JLC take some, I won't call them risks, but really continue to push the envelope of what can a reverso mean and what can a reverso look like. And so here you have the platinum, they call this the number one limited series of 500 platinum case, but this is the first time you're seeing it skeletonized on the front and the back in the same watch. And look at the, you know, the, the, the carbachon sapphire in the crown, you know, kind of like a la Cartier, um, and just all of the um, handwork in the engraving of the skeletonized movement. And I love the JLC um, kind of enameled logo that you can see there on the back of the movement in, uh, I think is what is the, the mainspring uh, gearing and housing. Really, really pretty. 2003, they wanted to honor one of the founders of JLC, Antoine Lacouche. Here you have a master eight day in platinum Again, that big um, power reserve up in the top left, day-night indicator in the top right, um, big date, and then sub-seconds. Um, the power reserve bridge on this has had a display back. It was signed with um, kind of a fax meal facsimile of, uh, of Antoine LeColt's uh, signature. Nice uh, size, 41.5 millimeters uh, uh, diameter. I just think this is, you know, from the front, it doesn't look anything special, right? And this is also kind of the first time you're seeing, oh, it's a platinum watch and a round case, but they're not using that special kind of bluish-gray dial. They're using a silver dial in this case, um, but it absolutely is a special watch. 2004, now we have the Reverso Platinum number 2. But the number 1 was that, you know, really heavy, skeletonized Reverso. Now you have a Reverso where... Now they've brought back the idea of a tourbillon. Um, you can see they've reworked the movement a little bit. Um, in this case, now you see there's a power reserve on the front. Remember on that um, earlier tourbillon reverso, the power reserve was actually on the display back where you can see the tourbillon. I still love that there's no cutout for the tourbillon on the front of the dial. It makes it really super stealth in my opinion. You just have the subseconds and it just says tourbillon. It's only when you flip it over do you see it. Again, you see that cool cutout in the case. You can see the whole tourbillon cage. Um, re really nice. I love the addition, again, of the power reserve. And they just did a little bit more cutouts on the, on the movement in the gear, chain, uh, gear train. And I love um, these where they're doing that, uh, that gray dial. In 2004, we have the Reverso Platinum Tourbillon uh, Squelette. And here, again, notice that sapphire's back. Notice that um, the case is skeletonized. However, now, it's like they've kind of coupled the, the last two watches we saw together because now it's skeletonized and it has a tourbillon, that one-minute tourbillon. 
And because of that, and because you can see it on the front and the back, notice they've cut out the notch in the bottom on the front, um, on the dial side, so you can still appreciate that whole tourbillon cage. And you can still have your hours and minutes, as you can see, and there's still uh, sub-seconds there as well. So it's pretty cool to see kind of both of these married together. Again, um, this is a super limited edition of just 35 watches. This was in 2004. Not a cheap watch, as you can imagine, um, being platinum, skeletonized, tourbillon. A lot of things going on there. I wanted to call out just a few of the other limited editions that were going on. I don't think any of these really require a whole lot um, because they really are pretty much exactly ex the same as existing models. Just um, all of them were for different things. In this case, um, you know, special series for the Hourglass retailer, uh, you know, JLC retailer in Singapore. And then uh, one of these was uh, for Tourneau, another um, large retailer. And you can see the eight day was, uh, you know, um, series of 88, the dual time uh, was a series of 120. Just, you know, interesting side note that uh, during this time, and even probably still now, uh, JLC does do some limited edition or limited series uh, for uh, special retailers. At this time, there was this guy popped up, the Master Control 8 Days Black Dial, um, limited series of 50 comes in a lovely wooden box again um, but it's interesting that it's a steel case transparent case back um, I don't know a lot about this watch I haven't been able to find out a lot about it but it is a limited series of just 50 um, just weird to me that it's in steel um, really pretty black dial I don't know um, I'd love to find out more on this one this is kind of my one of my current mystery watches um, but I, I, I do think I do this movement and this dial layout in the round case, I think, is um, really well balanced, and I just love the the really big sword hands that you, you see here for the power reserve, the subseconds, and the hours and minutes. And now, one of my favorite reverses, the Grand uh, Wimpy, a limited edition of 100 from 2005. What's special about this watch? Well, one, I love the German that's on the dial. I think that's really cool. Flip it over, though, and check out. Um, I think this is really one of the very first reverses with uh, a rotor, automatic winding. So it's pretty thick, 12 millimeters. Um, I love it. it has a day-night indicator at 12 o'clock on the front of the dial. And you can see it's, again, celebrating 100 years of, of Wimpy. Uh, Sub-seconds down there. Um, I think this is a great watch, stainless steel. There was a hundred of these made. Personally, I'd love to track one down for myself um, just because I love reverses. I love that it has the very standard uh, numerals, but I also like the idea of uh, the automatic winding, and I, I really like how they did that cutout. There's a lot of different ways they could have done that. Um, just like you've seen the display backs on other reverses where it's rectangular, here they've scalloped the top and the bottom perfectly match the curve of the rotor. You notice that? Um, really cool touch. This was 2005. We're jumping around a little bit in time just because then the, just the next um, 
couple watches I wanted to share as we close out this kind of first part is, you know, these are so bonkers that I wanted to save them till the end. Um, so in 2004, you have the first horological excellence, uh, the Giro Torbion 1, limited series of 75. You can tell immediately that this is something really special. Um, this particular watch, you know, yeah, semi-skeletonized movement, right? You can see the movement through in that little, um, you know, where the hours and minutes are in the the kind of sub dial. It's really not sub dial. It is the dial, but it's up taking up just this top half of the, of the main watch case. Um, but then do you notice off to the sides, it's glass and it's frosted. So you can see through it a little bit to see more of the mechanics. And then you can see that long retrograde arch, which is the pointer date from one to 31 and how it gets to 31 and then shoots back. And of course, you can't miss the huge multi-axis spherical tourbillon cage at six o'clock. Um, so interesting. This is a perpetual calendar. Um, it does have an eight day power reserve has a running equation of time. That's what one of those hands are. The other was the reserve to, um, the March, the power reserve. I had to show, um, the back of this watch cause it's so clean on the front. You're like, how is this a perpetual calendar, Troy? Well, flip it over to the back. And look, you can just see that long hand for the leap year indicator, the one, two, three, B. And then you can see um, the the month. See how it goes J and then two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, D. That's because instead of one, they put J for January and uh, D is December uh, for 12. Interesting, right? <laughs> they made 75 of these, but the original price $340,000. I really cannot think of another watch with this, with a higher jewel count. Um, my research was saying this had 117 jewels. When was the last time you heard of a watch with over a hundred jewels in it? 659 parts. Um, I'm sure I can't even afford a service on a watch like this. Um, but boy, am I glad that something like this exists in the world. And this was done in 2004. In 2005, they did um, another Antoine Lecoultre um, kind of uh, limited series in honor of piece. Again, you can his signature is on the bridge in the back. Here, I've, I've added a picture. You can kind of see it. It's in the bottom right, the, the signature on that really pretty kind of flared out, um, you know, um, movement finishing. To me, it almost looks like... Um, like a seashell, how it's kind of radiating out or almost like, um, you know, sun rays, um, right. You know, kind of emanating from the, um, um, from the, the balance spring. Interesting about this watch, you know, do pay note to the flange up at the top that obviously tells you that this is a, um, minute repeater which it is. I think this is also probably a Grand Sonnier. Uh, uh, you can see on the bottom right where you can kind of choose between how you want it to, to sound or chime. Um, big power reserve of 15 days for this guy. Uh, and then you can see it's even showing the, 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 I think it's like the milli-newton meters of the spring torque uh, of the movement. 
Um, maybe that's important for um, having it chime or for the accuracy of the time. But um, yeah, just really, really cool watch. 44 millimeters, big watch. Again, not cheap, you know, $245,000. Um, and this is just takes us up to 2005. Um, that's a lot of watches. And, you know, in closing, I have to say again, I was really hoping to almost do one presentation that would include everything, but you realize so quickly that there's really too much. And as you can imagine, too, you know, after watches like this and as our hobby in the watch industry has continued to grow, that uh, Jean Cool continued to put out um, even more limited editions at almost a faster rate. So at some point, I'll get around to doing part two, maybe starting um, right where we left off at 2005 and going forward. Obviously, as a teaser, I put um, a watch I've owned uh, for a while, um, which is the Tribute to Polaris 1965. Maybe it's 68. I can't remember now. Memovox, gorgeous watch. Um, that's just kind of a teaser for the watches that would be coming because there's so many great ones. I think of like the Geophysique tribute watch that came out. Again, you see even more of the like Hybris Mechanica stuff starts coming out later. So a lot of great stuff to cover in the future. In closing, I hope you've really enjoyed this episode of the Grumpy Collector podcast. Um, I have such a deep respect and fondness for Jaja Lecoult watches, the brand, the history, and again, I just want to encourage collectors when we think of, you know, I see so many people get upset that they can't get the, the Paddock Philippe watch they want or the Steel Sports Rolex watch they want. And I would just encourage you, you know, if you're willing to dig just underneath the surface, you know, go through the back catalogs of Antiquorum or, you know, Phillips or Sotheby's. There are tons of wonderful watches out there that instead of paying three times retail for them, you could probably pay half of retail for them and get so much more watch for the money. So that's my uh, public service announcement on that. Um, anyways, look for this presentation. If you're listening to this, um, just audio only look for, um, this presentation with the slides in PDF format, um, at the grumpy collector.com on the show notes page. Again, for the Grumpy Collector podcast. Uh, and again, I'm Troy. You can find me on Instagram anytime at, uh, at the Grumpy Collector. And feel free to email me at hi, Troy at gmail.com. And I'll see you next time. Thanks. <laughs>